Hello, and welcome to our podcast called the Virtual CISO Chronicles. In this podcast, I interview a virtual CISO to talk about security, cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a software platform exclusively for vCISOs. These cybersecurity professionals consult with companies to build cybersecurity programs. To tell you a little bit about me, I have over 22 years of experience as a startup lawyer, and I like to think of myself as an advocate, especially in the fields of data privacy and cybersecurity. But I grew up in an entrepreneurial home, and I absolutely love listening to people's stories. So I started this podcast to feature people who are working hard in cybersecurity to make the world a better place. Today, our guest is Mercy Komar, and this is a special episode of the Virtual CISO Chronicles, which you will find out as soon as you hear Mercy's story. So thank you for joining me today, Mercy, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. So please tell our listeners and go ahead and uh, you know reveal the spoiler a little bit about yourself. And if you can include some things that are maybe not career related, that would be great. Well, I'm a great eater, but I'm not a good cook. <laughs> Luckily, I found the man of my dreams 30 years ago. He's a cook and he's a grocery shopper. I have never bought groceries or cooked a meal in 30 years. Wow. Now, I tell, I mean, He's a bit older than me, but I tell people, Sex I can get anywhere, a husband that cooks you keep. <laughs> so that has always been my my um, starting point that I that I explain to people. And they, they understand. A lot of women understand that. I, he, it's thrilling not to have to do that kind of work. But I am a little bit different than what you're used to interviewing. I know you're doing VCISOs, and I am a cyber insurance specialist. I work at the other end. I work with a lot of the VCISOs, helping them when they get people to the point that they need the insurance. And I am of the opinion that you must secure your risk, then insure your risk. You need hmm. to know what you've got and how secure you can make it. If you can do that, then I, I'm more able to get you a better price for the insurance. And my situation, um, I have been in the insurance industry for many years. In fact, I'm, I came in right out of high school and I'm in my 52nd year in the insurance wow. business. And I have been an agency owner. And um, I bought agencies and sold agencies and finally got to the point where I was about, oh, I had sold my agency to a bank and I had come to work here at the office at L. Calvin Jones in order to wind down my career. And as I'm winding down my career, I fall into cyber. Now, I am the most un-cyber person you would ever want to meet. I learned to type on it on an IBM Selectric typewriter, okay? So <laughs> I never learned Word or Excel because I had staff. You know, mm. staff could do those kinds of things. I never learned that stuff. So <laughs> I have never been very good on computers. Still, I'm not good on computers. And I never paid much attention to cyber coverage when I was going to my continuing education classes. And one day I stopped at a small tool and die shop, just a, just a walk-in, mm -hmm. and gave them my business card. And, said, and the gentleman said, my wife's going to call you. And I said, okay. And she did. And then it was an unfortunate story where they had um, a claim that wasn't paid. 
And it wasn't paid because it was actually a cyber plane. The daughter was addicted and had sold the family's password to hmm. their system. And unfortunately, even as a small tool and eye shop, they were doing government work. Hmm. They basically got shut down and, and lost their business. And wow. it made me curious. And I did get them a quote before they shut down. And so one of the gentlemen here at the office said, oh, good, you're now our cyber expert. And I said, oh, come on. You won't even let me in the system because you're afraid I'm going to screw it up. And he said, it has nothing to do with the system. Go learn all the stuff you can about cyber so we can teach the clients. So I did. I started taking classes and I was the first woman in Ohio to get the CYRM designation, the first one to get the MLIS designation, the first one to get the CCIS designation. And I started teaching it myself also to not just our clients, but to other insurance agents. So it's been an interesting five years doing something that I would never, ever have believed I would be the least bit interested in. And it's kind of caught me up in it. And uh, I, I can't retire. I'm too busy. I'm way too <laughs> I'm busy sure to retire. <laughs> oh, I am. I believe you are. It has exploded in the last few years. So, I mean, talk about amazing timing on your part. It was interesting timing. Um, I, I it, a lot of people don't enjoy it. A lot of agents do not enjoy it. It's not, you know, the insurance business obviously is a sales business and mm -hmm. we're looking to make money. Cyber is not your big sale normally, and it is not a um, glamorous sell. Okay. It's a tough sell. It's always been a tough sell, mm -hmm. but it's getting easier now. Uh, as people understand what cyber is and, and why they need it. And I've always told the, the uh, other agents that I teach, stop trying to sell them what they need, sell them what they want. And I find that most people don't care about ransomware. They care about covering their bank accounts. They worry about their money instead. And so a lot of my sales are based more on the crime section of the cyber policy than the ransomware section. Hmm. And it's it depends on the size of the business you're dealing with, but it's much easier to get someone to listen to you if you talk to them, at least initially, about what's more important to them. You can get to the cyber, you can get to the liability and all of that later, but most people first want to talk about banking and their money. How do I protect my money from a thief? And that's where I usually start. I talk to them about their banking and say, did you hear that so-and-so had a business email compromise and had $114,000 stolen? And that clicks. That's important to them. They understand that. So that's basically how I do my sales. And most of mine are fairly small in that they're under $20,000 of premium a year. Okay. So that's, that's kind of my judgment on it. I'm not out there working with the massive thousand people employers. Um, it's, it's mostly small employers around the area and they need it too. Everyone needs it. Yeah. And if I can convince people that it'll be, you know, it, it's easy once you, once you find what they're interested in. 
it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I mean, so many questions I have for you. I'm going to take you back to where you started, actually. So you told us a story about a daughter who sold a password to her parents' business. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Right. First of all, I I don't even know. I, I didn't realize that people actively were looking for ways to sell passwords. <laughs> um, I don't even know how that works. And I'm not assuming that you do. If you do, right. that would be fascinating. Um, because that is sort of the, one of those insider threats that, you know, talk about who you think is the most trusted person, which is your own family. But my question for you is, you got into, you, you said that, you told us that story as how you got into cyber. To me, that story is so impactful and so interesting that I can see how that must have been a, um, a catalyst for you to want to be into cyber. As you just said, cyber is not very interesting. It's a hard one. Is is that why you tell that story? Because that really resonated. It almost cut you to the core that that happened to that family. Yes, it it was. I knew what it was when she said to me, this is what happened. I knew what the coverage was that she needed that she didn't have. The insurance company wasn't even able to explain it to her because they'd never written one. It was Hmm. an Ohio mutual insurance company. And I said, well, I know what it is. I'll look it up. I'll get you a quote. And it was amazing to me how few people understood it, including yeah. myself. And that's what's kind of set me off. And my, I'm a librarian in reality. I mean, give me something to research and give me time and I'll dig for it. And that was a research project for me. And once I started to research it, I thought to myself, you know, there's people that really need this. And then as time went on, of course, it started to be revealed that everybody technically does need it. And it's blown, like you said, out of proportion, tremendously out of proportion to the point where now I'm teaching other agents the coverages because I know they need to know it. And um, it's I it's been fascinating for me. And it's it's extended my working lifeline, I guess I want to say. Yeah, well. And to go back into your prior work experience, you ran your own insurance agencies, as you explained to us at the beginning. So you also have that that entrepreneurial spirit that I think is one of the commonalities I, I find with entrepreneurs is that thirst for learning, which you just described. So yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It, there, you have to have, if you're going to own your own business, you have to be the one that's that's got to be constantly thinking of the employees, the banking, the legal, the security. I mean, everything has to be going around at the time. And you're the one that if somebody doesn't show up for work, it's you that's got to pick up the, the, the work that's got to be done. I don't know how many weekends I would spend in the office because things were behind. Somebody's got to do it. And that's that's the way you are when you're an entrepreneur. It's up to you. There's nobody behind you standing there say, saying they're going to give you any help. So it's important that you learn to be resilient and you do what you need to do in order to keep your business going. And in my case with the agency, um, we had 
almost 15 employees at one time. So that was a pretty good sized insurance agency yeah. when we sold it. So yeah, we it was interesting. It was a, it was a, a it was good in a lot of ways. It was stressful, mm-hmm. very stressful, very stressful. Yeah, a lot of spinning plates. And what I'm what I'm picking up from you though is I feel like you are probably very good at sales. Would you self-describe yourself as good at sales? I'm not good at sales. What I <laughs> no, seriously, I've never considered myself a salesperson. Um, if you sat me in a room and said, sell this pencil, like they, you know, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. What I really was was more of a technician where I would go into someone's business and say, let me see your policies and I'd find everything that was wrong. Hmm. And I'd be able to correct all those things from my technical knowledge and my and my wanting to dig into stuff. I'd say, well, you're missing this, 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 and this. And I can correct this, 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 and this because I wasn't a salesperson. I, hmm. I that's I guess I am in a way. It's a different kind of sales that I do. It is. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's helpful sales. So in running your own agencies, um, I mean, you you may have already answered this question, but I, I'm curious if I'm gonna ask it anyway. What was what was the biggest challenge of running your own agency? Technology, to be honest with you, was a big challenge for me. I had good staff. Um the computers, the technology, as it was expanding, um, I went into, I, I started in our agency in 1987, when there was nothing but a floppy disk <laughs> to put into the computer, and all it could do was rate an auto policy. And as we expanded, and we ended up with more things, my problem, and I, and I hope everybody that hears this understands, I didn't keep up with the technology and that was my fault. Personally, I never kept up with it and I don't recommend anybody doing that. I should have kept up. I should have done the Word and the Excel and everything because now I'm at a point where I'm having to have people help me a lot and the things that I want to do that I should have learned a long time ago and I still don't want to learn. <laughs> I, don't want to, I don't want to know Excel. Somebody else can do that. Um, <laughs> But well, yeah, that's, inter- that's that interesting because you sound like you're a constant learner. I mean, as you said, when you got into the cyber cyber insurance, you got all those certifications. I do like to learn. Um, I like to keep up with things, but not with technology. I don't know what there is about technology that bothers me. Um, I, I just never the sitting at, in front of the screens for eight hours a day. I can do that. I can type a little bit, but Ask me to learn Canva. Mm-mm. Now, I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't try and teach me that stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can, I, I totally empathize with you. And then there's, there's certain things about running a business that I just find myself constantly um, procrastinating doing. And I, as much as I tell myself, you have to stop procrastinating on this thing that is clearly important for my business. It, it just, my personality is like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You get to that uh, point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm also, I think for our listeners, one of the things that I have had conversations with many of them about, and I, I, so I'm going to go ahead and, and pull into this topic and, and lean on that knowledge that you have on cyber insurance is a lot of 
CISOs and virtual CISOs, a lot of security professionals are very worried about their own personal liability. Can you talk a little bit about how insurance is thinking about the personal liability of those in security who are doing what you said at the beginning of this podcast is, you know, they're securing the business? The technology errors and omissions, first of all, of these VCISOs, they need their own, first of all, a technology errors and omissions policy. They're out doing the work, okay? Mm -hmm. They also need their own cyber policy because they too can be victims and or they can release information that belongs to the client and get themselves sued for that. So they really end up with two, two policies. And most of the companies, um, if you're a VCISO, um, you can buy the policies that combine the two. Okay. Some of the large companies, Travelers and Chabonet, will issue one policy that has both kinds of coverage in it. And that's important for them. They've got to have both. Is it cheap? No, it used to be cheap. It's difficult now. It's difficult getting that coverage because there's there's so many possibilities of mistakes from the VCISO's point of view. Um, you can be held liable for so many things. And I've listened in a couple of podcasts that some of them are doing, and they're basically trying to construct contracts that say that they're not going to be held liable. But somewhere along the way, somebody's going to hold you liable for something, you know, that that's just, you're, you're an attorney, you understand what's going to happen down the road. And um, it's difficult. It's, it's very difficult. And it's gotten very expensive for some of them to purchase the coverage, but they need it. They yeah. have to have it. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah. can I, can I insert something? I will tell you though, that 50% of all professionals, I don't care if they're CIS, VCISOs, or accountants, or attorneys, or insurance agents do not carry cyber coverage. Hmm. It's scary. That's amazing. It is very scary, but I will tell you, especially insurance agents, <laughs> you don't know how many insurance agents <laughs> I've talked to, that they don't buy it themselves. So how would they sell it? So yeah, it's, it's kind of wild. I mean, I've, I've heard that in order to obtain cyber insurance right now, the amount of information that you have to provide for the coverage has exponentially increased. It has, depending on the type of business you are. Obviously, okay. if you're in, uh, if you're a municipality or a, or in healthcare, or if you're in education, you are filling out pages, or your VCISO or your MSP is filling out pages of information. Um, I've got one sitting here on my desk now that's only three pages long. I've seen them as long as 12 pages long. Wow. So it just depends on what kind of business you're in and your exposure, just like any other kind of uh, insurance. So they're asking more questions. They're asking them for a reason and they're warranted. And hmm. it's very hard to get an insured. Sometimes you just have to flat out say to them, look, don't lie don't guess. If you guess or you lie and they find out afterwards, you've got no coverage. That's that's basically what I'm telling you. Don't guess or lie. And I teach also the insurance agents. Why are you asking this question? Do you know why you're asking this question? 
Because if you don't know why you're asking this question, the, the insured isn't going to necessarily feel em, em, empowered in order to give you the correct answer. And I want to make sure I've got the absolute correct answer. And if you don't know, say you don't know. So, yeah, it's important. So uh, so many questions. Um, when when I answer a question, you know, my platform helps companies create these knowledge bases of their cybersecurity internal information so that they when they get assessments, usually security questionnaires or even a, in this case, an insurance assessment, they can respond using a knowledge base versus what's in their head. Mm -hmm. But security changes so quickly. So is there an obligation for these these questionnaires, these things that the insurance companies are sending to their insureds to update it? Um, they don't always. And it is the policy is warranted as of the date of the application. Okay. okay. Um, if I say I have MFA and I don't have MFA three years down the road from now, that's going to be a problem. But if I'm upgrading, they're not requiring knowledge of upgrades. Um, we okay. usually, I'm seeing about every other year they're requesting new applications or renewal applications, as they call them. Maybe they'll come back with six or seven questions and say, are you still training your employees? Um, are you doing this? Are you doing that? As things are getting upgraded, but they're not asking for entire new um, applications on a normal basis. And a lot of these companies now have the built-in analysis that they're doing um, where they're constantly scanning the dark web and everything for you. So they see a lot too. Yeah. And have you seen them come back to you and say, We've, we know that there is an, um, there are some things that you need to look at under this or things that you need to look at under that. They find things out there while they're out scanning around. The insurance companies? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, that was what I was going to ask you um, in terms of, because you said, don't lie, don't guess an answer. And I'm wondering how are insurance companies able to find if someone is lying? Or, you know, there's well, got to be a double check they, of some they sort. Won't, they won't until they get a claim. Okay. Okay. So it's most of the time they're going to, you know, if you say that you have MFA, and they're going to take your word for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. If the claim comes in and you didn't have the MFA, now we're going to, now we're going to get nasty. Okay. Now we're going to yeah. deny the claim. Um, they're, they're, that's why it's called a warranty. They're putting your feet to the fire. Whatever you tell us, your swearing is the truth. So we're going to, we're going to say it's the truth. And they, travelers just, I think it was in last July, travelers won the case against an Illinois manufacturer that had told them they had MFA and they didn't. Mm. And travelers took it to court and travelers won. Mm. The judge said, you signed a warranty. You swore you had it and you didn't have it. And travelers was right. So Very interesting. A, yep. Uh, honestly, I could talk to you forever. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I, I understand when people say I, I have been the, the lawyer who's had to maintain the insurance for the companies that I represented. And reading an insurance policy is probably second on my list of the most boring documents that you, you know anyone has to read. That's about true. 
Uh, the first one, I, in case anyone's wondering, is patents. <laughs> incredibly boring. But um, but that being said, I'm fascinated with insurance because there are so many nuances to it. And I, like I said, I could talk to you forever. And I, I'm sure I almost want to have you back on the podcast at some point to talk more about this because I know we're out of time. But um, any, I, any, any, I jokingly tell people the people who are insurance agents really do love the business. And I jokingly tell people I'm going to get my own, what is it called? Only fans account. I'm going to sit there in the nude and read insurance policies. <laughs> somebody <laughs> will, will pick up on that and pay me for it. <laughs> well, I, I bet that you can read an insurance policy probably 10 times as fast as the normal person because you know what to look for, how to look for it, yeah. how they're structured. Yeah, they yeah. are. They're, they're, they are unusual um, in most instances. And you know from yourself, from the uh, cyber end, if we've got 500 companies that offer cyber insurance, there are 500 policies. Nobody wants to copy anybody else's. Mm. And you've got to look at every one of them individually. And one of the things I teach to the students, their insurance agents, I say, just pick four. To please don't try and deal with 50 insurance companies. Pick four and learn the policies and keep up on them because mm. they're changing every month. Um, I see things coming down new and that's what you have to do. You got to keep up with it really extensively. Wow. So what is your, if to end this podcast, what is the number one tip you would give someone who's listening with respect to cyber insurance, specifically what they should be asking for? I know you talked about how people are really concerned about their bank account. Um, so maybe it's something along that lines, but what, yeah, give us your best cyber insurance tip. I think the crime coverage is under the cyber, the funds transfer fraud, the social engineering, the business email compromise. I think those are what they, people really worry about, having someone get in their system and get at the bank accounts. I think that's what they should be concerned about. They need to have an agent that understands the coverages. And if, if they aren't comfortable with their agent, go out and find one, even for just that single portion that is comfortable with the coverages because every policy is different and you're going to need to make sure you've got what you think you do have. Okay. Good advice. Really like that. Okay. Well, Mercy, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you let our listeners know how they can reach out to you and talk to you? They can reach out to me at, on LinkedIn under Mercy Comar, K-O-M-A-R, or at M. Comar at L as in Leo Calvin C A L V I N Jones J O N E S dot com. Well, thanks again. Insure cyber insurance, huge important topic for our listeners. So I really appreciate you giving us some of your time. Thank you and for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, good. And then if you are a listener, uh, you can find this podcast on Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Security Expert Marketplace.